Take your Bibles and let's go to Luke chapter number one, if you would, this morning, as we continue with our series to magnify the Lord. And this sermon that we're taking, this is where we draw our title, Magnify the Lord, from. And you'll see why in just a few moments. Before we start this morning, I just want to say it's good to see Pastor Casey and Miss Sandy here with us this morning. And we thank God for them. And Pastor Casey, for those of you that are new to the church, uh, he was the pastor here at Shelby Bible Church for 22 years. And uh, Miss Sandy has been here all your life and just a part of this. And we just thank God for them and their faithfulness to the Lord. Let's give them a hand this morning and welcome them to the service. Amen. Good to see you both this morning. And uh, thankful for God's goodness to us all over the last several years. <clears throat> it's very hard for us to come through, for me personally, to come through the holiday season without just reminiscing and remembering what God has brought us through. And I, I was, um, we were looking at the Christmas card box this last week and um, all the cards coming out. We joked about having it out and I said that somebody cheap came up with the idea and Randy took credit for it. I don't think it was actually his idea though, so, but um, he likes to take credit for a lot of things that aren't his idea. Yeah, so, but, um, and, uh, but Miss Darlene was very kind to give me a call later that week and she reminded me, she said, actually, um, this idea started when we were sending cards around all over the church and we realized all the postage we were using and they thought, what if we put a box out here and we give the postage to missions? And I thought, man, now what a great idea, you know, and I, I was thinking about our church, you know, because of COVID last year, things changed a lot and we've changed the way we've done uh, generosity. We've changed the way we've given things, but we haven't stopped giving. Our church has been extremely giving. Um, this year alone through missions, uh, we've given an additional $30,000 above and beyond our regular support two missionaries, and I'm being conservative in that estimate. If I have Miss Becky in here, I get you an actual number. But on two occasions, we were able to take a chunk of money and just send it directly to the work that those missionaries are doing. And uh, just giving outside the doors of this church, this church has been extremely generous to reaching the gospel. Right now, in uh, Brother McPhail Fawcett and the work they're doing there, um, the printing press is on order. And just in short order, they'll have a printing press in place that not just for the Christmas season will it bless that ministry in those churches, but for 20 or 30 years from now, gospel literature will be printed and put in the hands of men and ladies who are being trained for gospel ministry. And you folks are a direct result of that. And it's cool to me to look back and see how this is not something new that Shelby Bible Church has been doing. We've been doing it for a long time. And we've been doing it through Christmas card postage We've been doing it through special offerings, through missions conferences, and we're doing it today. And I was very cool because this week I met with our missions team and briefly chatted with them. And we're planning our missions conference for March of next year and looking forward to what God's going to do in our missions conference then. And so we can just rejoice that because Christ has given to us, we can continue to give and spread that gospel around the world. And God's good, isn't he? All the time, all the time. If you found your place there in Luke 1, I'd like to just read verse 39 and down through verse number 56 for us this morning as an introduction to this text. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judea, 
or Judah rather, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ear, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty hath done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that we can rejoice in the message uh, that we've heard in song already this morning. And Lord, may this morning we bring an offering of praise uh, to you as we look through this text of scripture. Lord, may you be honored and glorified in all that is said and done. And it's in the precious name of Jesus we ask all these things. Amen. Two expectant mothers greeting one another here in this text. I have often commented, and my wife and I have commented together, there's just something inherently beautiful about an expectant mother. Just radiance. It's, there's no real way to put a word on it. You almost just stand in awe. And there is really, uh, under no, uh, no uncertain circumstances, this is a miracle that's taken place. That God has brought life into the world. How much more in these two mothers here that stand that God has taken the womb that was dead and brought life. And God now has taken a virgin womb and life has been placed in the virgin womb. And as Pastor Caleb preached for us last week, with God, nothing is impossible. And we see this beautiful picture of these two women coming together and comparing notes as it were and looking over this and they're rejoicing over what God has done. And I, I think it's interesting to me to note here, in spite of all of our medical science that is finally coming along to agree that there is life and there is pain and there is even understanding inside the womb, a long time ago, a baby leapt at the news of the Savior. And this word is in uh, Psalm chapter number 11. It's the same word in the Septuagint that we find there, that the mountains skipped. This is not the same as just the baby kicking, and we've all been there, haven't we? And you place your hand on your wife's stomach, and you feel that baby kick against you. And the miracle that that is, this is something that she said, this ain't the same thing as normal. This baby's jumping around on the inside because of the greeting. And the Bible says he was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. And let me remind you again that life is sacred, and life is sacred from the moment of conception. 
that God has given life and this beautiful picture here of life. And I had a, a pastor friend of mine that said, the question is not when life begins, but when does the will of God begin for that child? And here is this, what scripture says, he said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God had a purpose for that child even before conception. And uh, we, we see this and rejoice in a testimony again of it. Then we come to this, the Magnificat, or the, that's the Latin word that you would find over this text here, but it's Mary's song. Uh, those of you that have grown up in other uh, traditions, maybe the Catholic Church, you've grown up in the Lutheran Church, this song would have been used very regularly at this time of year. Um, and oftentimes, I think, if we're not careful, <laughs> I know that personally, I take some issues with Catholic doctrine, as Pastor Caleb last week brought out, that we understand that Mary was not sinless. And will we see that in this text again? She's looking for a Savior. But if we're not careful, we can run so far away from that that we miss what's going on in this text. There's a beautiful song of praise that is taking place here. And in this beautiful song, Mary begins to sing. And what we see here in this is Mary putting on display a theology of hope that rests in the mercy of God. And she begins to unpack it for us this morning. You know, I, I think of the paradox of blessing, and that's not an original term with me, but William Barclay put this in his commentary. He said, when God blesses us to a task, he is often a call to suffer. There's always often a call in the blessing to suffering. And I think it is important for us to remember the whole narrative here that this same young lady who is kneeling by the, by the, the, uh, the, the manger and she beholds her child in that manger is the same one who will stand at the foot of the cross just 33 years later and see that very young man being crucified and giving up his life and Surrender in our life is when we bring the blessings and sorrows that, we are, that are in our world and we see both blessings and pain as a gift from God. And now this is not always an easy thing to do and, and when we understand the gospel is a gift directly to us, it is not something done by us. It's something done for us that puts it in perspective. And we'll look at that and I, I, I found this, this may be a little bit silly, but I think you'll get the picture when I put the silliness to it, and so pardon me if it's too silly. Let me have the one with the frog first in the pelican. Anybody ever seen this before? I love this picture, actually. When I first saw it the first time, I'm like, yeah, I like that, you know? The pelican is swallowing the frog, and the frog's got the pelican around the throat choking him, you know? And he's like, never give up, you know? And, and I look at this, and then let's put the next one up. Something you know about a turtle on top of a fence post, he had help to get there. Now, I think fundamentally, if I could, I know this seems a little bit silly, but these two pictures, I think, are a, a parable of how we view salvation. Many of you see salvation as you're the frog, and you're holding on for dear life. I'm not going to give up. I want to make this happen. But in reality, if you and I make it to heaven, we're going to do so because God placed us there. By his grace, he came in and rescued us. 
and he put us on top of the fence post, so to speak. We didn't climb up there by ourselves. We didn't do that on our own. And Mary is not talking in this text about what she has done. She is talking about what God has done for her. She is putting God on display. And, and what, what God is doing this morning and what God is doing all the way back then is it is connected to what God has been doing and what God is doing and what God will do. He's telling a story throughout time and we see the joys and pains of life that he gives, he takes away. To live as Christ, to die as gain. And we see Mary, this young lady, standing before the angel, now before Elizabeth. And the question that I would ask us this morning, are the circumstances from life, from God, are by chance? Fearful Mary. Faith-filled Mary, trusting Mary as she walks in. God-given roles of pain and joy that were placed in her life. And I want to remind you again, the story that we're reading here, this account we're reading, is not to tell us how to be like Mary. The goal of this text is not to say, now, you can be a person of faith like Mary. But no, the, the point being is, let me show you what God has done for someone like Mary. Let me show you what God and his grace has put on display. You see the God-given roles of pain and joy in our life. We must allow the pains and the joys of life. To point us to a greater reality than this world. When pain or pleasures of this life only point us to the now. Pain becomes a stumbling block. And we begin to blame God and we blame circumstances and we blame people because why would this happen to me and that's not fair and I don't appreciate that. And when, when pleasure is pointing me only to this world, then it becomes an idol to me or an addiction for me. And both become horrible masters. But when pain points me to another world and pleasure points me to another world, that it becomes joy and thanksgiving for what God is doing and pain and suffering and heartache becomes building blocks for what God is doing because we see ourselves as a part of a bigger story than just our story. And this is what Mary is doing. And I want to walk through the text this morning with you and show you how Mary is connecting her story to a bigger story. First, I want you to see the confirming of the word. The Bible tells us that Mary had gotten from the angel that Elizabeth had conceived. And there's no evidence that she had any natural understanding of Elizabeth's uh, pregnancy. There was no message coming to her from outside of this. And it may be that the only news she had of Elizabeth's uh, pregnancy was the fact that the angel had told her. That Elizabeth is expecting and so she leaves very quickly and she goes to find Elizabeth and she goes up into the hill country to find her and she meets with her to confirm, I believe, the message of the angel. She's going to see and it's always interesting to me how that when God gives his word afresh, he confirmed it with his people Israel with a sign. And the signs were not to be worshipped, they were confirming the word of God. The word of God is what we rest our faith on this morning, not the signs that we see around us. This morning, I don't need another star in heaven. I don't need another sign that Jesus has come. We have the word of God this morning to rest in it. And the word of God was confirmed as she went. She went to Elizabeth and Elizabeth praises. Mary praises. John in the womb is filled with the spirit. He praises. 
And, and I think it's, 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 it's the pattern of what we see in the text later on, is it not? That there is an angel and then someone hears the message or sees a sign and then they go and confirm. Do we see Mary doing that now? She goes to Elizabeth and confirms what she's heard and then the shepherds are going to get a word from the angels. And what are they going to do? They're going to leave the field and they're going to go and confirm what they've heard. And the wise men see a star in the east and what do they do? They leave the east and they go and confirm what they've seen. And these people are confirming the signs they've seen. And it points us all back to the word. Even Herod, when the wise men come before him, and he comes and he says, hey, we've seen the star in the east that's going to be born king of the Jews. He goes, hmm, check the scripture and find out where he's supposed to be born at. Even wicked Herod understood to check the scriptures. And it was confirmed of where he would be born. And we find the passage going out. And no doubt... <coughs> Fear and wonder rested on her soul as a heavy weight of uncertainty. And yet she took steps to confirm what had been revealed to her. I think there is a great company in someone who understands. And Mary and Elizabeth had a, a bond here that God was using them uniquely. I see this picture in stark review. But not only Mary's confirming of the message, but I want you to see Mary's response. In this text, Mary does three things. We we're told she acts three ways. She believes, first off, and, and, and Elizabeth is the one that confirmed that for us in verse 45. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. She believed in the word from God that it was going to happen. Not only does she believe, but then in the very next text, it says that her soul magnified the Lord and uh, she rejoiced in her Savior. Pastor Caleb said earlier this week, the fullness of the Spirit should always result in joyful praise. That our hearts would be filled with praise when we are filled with the Spirit. She believed the word that was given to her. She sees God as her Lord. And she sees God as her Savior in these texts. And she calls out to Him in both occasions. And, and by the way, let me make it very clear this morning, Mary needed a Savior. Mary needed a Savior, and Pastor Caleb ended last week, and he, he reminded us that if Mary were standing here today, she would say, don't look at me, but look at the Son that I bore. Look at the Savior who died on the cross. Look at the one that saved me from my sins. That's our hope. Always pointing away, and here even in her song, she is not pointing to what she's done. She's pointing to who God is and what God is doing. Mary does not rejoice first in that she was even chosen vessel, but that the child she carried had come to save the world. You see, our roles and our gifts do not secure us. Our Savior is who secures us. And I would say to you this morning, if somehow or another that our roles that we are given to fulfill in life and our spiritual gifting are the things that were to merit favor with God, and somehow or another our spiritual gifts and our spiritual roles could merit favor, then Mary would be definitely in favor in that regard and could have earned favor through those roles and giftings. But that is not what gives us favor. It is God's grace that gives us favor with God. It is His finished work. Mary seemed to respond with wonder and surprise. How could this be? How could this come to me? You see, when we consider the gospel and the narrative of human history, how can we be anything but surprised that the gospel came to us? 
How can you and I who have heard the gospel be anything but surprised that we would have hear, heard the gospel? I mean, why did God allow me to be born into the home of Pam and Steve Montgomery who were, were youth pastors and were laboring to teach the gospel to other young people already and I grew up hearing the gospel all my life. Why were you born uh, in a country where you heard the word of God or you moved to this place and you heard the word of God? Why did God bring the gospel to you? It is only His grace. It is only His mercy. And if we walk around and say, well, of course I'm a Christian. There's no of course. It is, wow! I heard the gospel. I believed. I can't believe this. My soul magnifies the Lord for He has done great things. And we lift up our voice in praise for what He's done. You see, if Christianity is something that we do, then there would be no surprise. This is what we do. I'm going to church, I'm reading my Bible, I've gotten baptized, I'm doing these things, and so therefore it follows that I will be a Christian because I have fulfilled the formula. But this morning, if Christianity is something done for us and to you and in you, then there cannot be anything but surprise and wonder that God would save a sinner like me and that God would save a sinner like you. What a Savior! See, my only response can be with Mary to magnify the Lord. Her response continues. And as we walk through her response this morning, Mary's praise is what we find. Now, I look at this text, if you would, and, and we begin into this text. And I want to make a little bit of a thought or a caveat, if I could, as I walk into it in verse 48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And absolutely, and by the way, not only will all generations call Mary blessed, and this is a fulfillment this morning that we stand here and say she is blessed. But understanding that if you're blessed, you're not the blesser. You're the one that's been blessed. And this morning, you and I, if you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, if the light of the gospel is shown into your heart, then you could say every generation of the world will call you blessed because it's what God has done to you. And Mary rests in that. She now goes into a clear tracing of God's hand through time. And showing what God has done. And, and some have come to take this text and say, well, th this is actually talking and pushing us to an idea of social reform. And that uh, we need to cast down those in power and lift up those that are weak. And we're to turn the tables and that will solve all the problems. And I can see as you're reading this, you're saying, well, he does say that the hungry are going to be filled and the rich will be sent away empty. And we're seeing these pictures that are laid out in front of us in this text. But this this morning is not some kind of political call from a Marxist worldview from Scripture that Mary is somehow speaking truth to power. That is not what's going on here. But it is a gospel text that warns those in power and those that possess wealth that they must humble themselves before the baby in the manger or the coming king will crush them beneath his feet. You see, here's the problem with wealth and power is it's relative. I always think the wealthier people who have more money than me. I always think the powerful are the people that have more influence than I do. And that's not always the case. 
You see, because here's the thing this morning. Those who have power or pursue power can be corrupted by it. Those who hold positions or covet positions are puffed up in pride. And those who love money, and the love of money is the root of all evil, even if you never hold money in your hands. If you never have anything that you would call wealth, if you love money, it still corrupts us. And what he's trying to say is what he said to the rich young ruler. Leave everything you have and come follow me. And if you don't do this, you can't be my disciple. You can't have it. You see, the only solution for the power and the pride and the love of money is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, in the gospel, only in the gospel, do rich become generous and powerful men become servants and proud men are rejected through the gospel and humble people are received and the hungry are filled. But this is not a new concept. This is what God has been doing all along throughout Scripture. He's been following this precedent. And Mary steps onto the scene and she says, man, I want to praise him. Verse number 49, for his mercy and the great things he has done. Look at verse 48. He looked on the humble estate of his serpent. For behold, from now on every generation will call me blessed. For he who is mighty hath done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary praises him for what he's done for her. We looked at that. He called her blessed. He's done great things. He is holy. Mary points it always away from her. But now for what God has done. In verse number 50. In the con- in, 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 in God is constant. Verse number 50. In every generation. You see, here's the thing you see in verse number 50. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. God has always been a God to show mercy to those who fear him. In every generation, this is the way God has done so. God is constant in every generation. The word fear is to reverence. God is consistent in his dealing with men. God rejects the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Those that fear God, He shows mercy to. This is how God has always worked. And I I move into this, and we see in verse number 51, He has shown strength with His arm. Look what He says in verse 51. He shows strength with His arm, and He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Now, when we read a verse like this, God shows strength with His arm. Are we to imagine somehow or another that God has an arm? No. That's not what's being said here. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. But it is taking uh, the attributes of God and bringing them to a level that our puny little minds can comprehend. And he says he's shown strength with his arm. He scattered the proud. That pride, pride has no place in the front of God. No man will stand before God and be able to say, I accomplished anything. As a matter of fact, when we look at the book of uh, Romans chapter number 3, he says, look, the law was given. And when we stand before God, and this, this verse always causes me to tremble, every mouth will be stopped. Now, how many of you have ever been in an argument before? How many of you constantly rebuttal in your arguments? There'll be no rebuttals. On that day, we will stand. There's only one plea. Jesus, or silence. No other option. Well, but my brothers, but my sister, but my friend, but my parents. 
Every mouth will be stopped before God. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their heart. God rejects the proud. And I want you to see this. It doesn't just have to be proud on your lips. He said the proud in your heart. See, because God knows what's inside of us. He sees our heart. I hear people say things like this. Well, God knows my heart. That should not be something that lets me sleep good at night, all right? It shouldn't give us comfort knowing that God knows our heart. What should give me comfort that is God knows my heart and he still offers grace to me. Because our heart is desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? Verse 52, he has brought down the mighty. He has exalted the humble estate. I, I read this and I can't help but think that Mary is tracing the hand of God. I think she's looking back, and if you were to take these, this song that she's singing, you could take it and go back to the Old Testament and pull out some songs in the Old Testament and begin to see that it has much of the same themes in them. If you go back to, uh, to Moses' song as they come out and, and Miriam's song as they come out of, the, uh, out of Egypt, and then you take uh, Hannah's song and you lift it up and you hear that song sung, and you see those pictures and the, theme, the same themes are running through, and I think Mary is doing much the same thing. I think think maybe in her mind as she's praising that God knows how to bring down the mighty. Hey, do you remember Pharaoh? Do you remember when Pharaoh and Moses went before him? And, and I kind of wonder if Pharaoh had a Charleston Heston voice or not, or Moses did. But he went before him and let my people go. And Pharaoh said, who is God that I should listen to him? And it's interesting to me, and we don't have time to unpack all of that, but God had not revealed his name in full to Israel yet. Until Pharaoh asked that question, who is God? And he said, you want to know who God is? I'll tell you who I am. And God put his power on display. And God brought the most mighty nation on the face of the earth to its knees in defeat. And he did it with some bugs, with some hail, with some blood, with some frogs. And he turned the lights off. And a nation came crumbling down. God brings down the mighty. He exalts those of humble estate. I think one of the most stark pictures of this in the Bible is Nebuchadnezzar. And the reason why I like this picture so much is that Nebuchadnezzar is the one giving the testimony. Nebuchadnezzar said, man, I was full of pride. I was walking in my palace and I was flourishing and I was saying, man, look at all that I have built and my hand has gotten me. I'm a mighty guy. And the prophecy that Daniel had given him through his dream said, God's going to cast you out. You'll be a stump. It's going to rain on you in the field. And the Bible says that his mind went from him. His hair began to grow in grotesque forms. The nails of his hands grew. He became a beast of the field, literally turned outside and grazed for a time in the field. This was Nebuchadnezzar that was humbled to that estate. And yet what happens when God was ready? He said, in my understanding, return to me. And I realize that God sets up whom he wills. And God pulls down whom he will. And he's the most high. I'm not the most high. And we see a testimony of what this verse is saying is that God pulls down the proud and he lifts up the humble. This is the God we serve. And when we think we can, 
When we're that frog holding on, we're missing the gospel. And this is what Mary's proclaiming has always been God's plan. He fills the hungry, the rich, he sent away empty. I think this is an interesting one. Alistair Begg said in his comments on this text, you know, you don't have to take a man's wealth away from him to send him away empty. The rich young ruler kept his wealth and he went away empty. You see, because I think man's pursuit of power and position and wealth, sometimes God's judgment is to give them those things. And I'll let you have your power, and I'll let you have your position, and I'll let you have your wealth, and I'll let you take your wealth and your power and your position all the way to its destined end. And that is as far away from me as man can comprehend in hell. What did the rich man do? He lifted up his eyes being in torment because he got what he wanted. He got what he pursued. So, Mary, she is tracing the hand of God. I love verse number 54. This is what God is going to do. Not what God has done now, but what God is going to do and how God continues to act. And we see Mary laying out a theology here in verse number 54 because she says this, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. God remembers his mercy. He never is going to forget that he's a merciful God. Aren't you glad of that this morning? That he's always going to be merciful to you and me. He's always going to remember his mercy. And God acts. This is so important for the security of where we're at. God acts based upon his nature and character, not yours and mine. Man, what a good God. And he remembers his mercy. We must connect this morning the story that we go through. Mary connects her story with the story that God is telling and has told. You see, the assigned work for each individual, God has given you an assigned work. He's given you a purpose. He's given you a plan. And you're going to have pain. And you're going to have sorrow. And you're going to have joy. And you're going to have pleasure. And all of those are going to go through what you're doing in life. But they're a part of God's story. And if they're only about you, you're missing it. But it's a part of what God is telling you. You see, the completion of the work is not based upon my ability, but it's based upon the one that brings it about, and it is God that brings it about. You're not going to accomplish your work because you're morally superior or you're not morally superior. You're not going to accomplish your work because of your social standing or your lack of social standing. God shows us by his providential purpose for his glory. I mean, when you think of Jacob and Esau, why would God pitch Jacob? I mean, if you know the story, Jacob is a snake in the grass, man. He, he's, he's a trickster. His name means trickster. And yet God reaches down and picks Jacob. And why does God pick the weak? And why does God pick those that are away? Because he wants to show it is his work being done, not man's work being done. This is God's story. You see, God chose by his providential purposes for his glory. Our wealth is no advantage. Our poverty is no hindrance. The question is, what has God called you for and what God has prepared you for? The roles we feel are, we fill this morning are not often ones we feel completely equipped for all the time. Parents, you ever wake up and think, man, what in the world am I doing? Man, how did I get into this mess? I got kids to raise. I don't even know what I'm doing. 
I mean, when it dawned on me one day that I had teenagers. And I'm like, that's a real person over there. And they don't think like me all the time. Well, that's not fun at all. I don't know what I'm doing. And we find that we are at a loss at times. We feel, I think we feel the most confident or the most unsure about a role right before we step into it. And once we step into it, I think in that moment, when you step into a role by faith, you begin to realize that your confidence was unfounded and your fear was unfounded because it is not you that will sustain you, it is God that sustains you. I think of Moses. Hey Moses, I want you to go back and deliver God's people. Or if you remember, just a few years earlier, before 40 years earlier, when he was there in Egypt, he was like, hey, don't you guys know I'm supposed to deliver you guys? I'm here to deliver you. I'm here. And he kills the Egyptian and hides him. And they're like, why don't you leave us alone? We don't want anything to do with you. And I can imagine Moses going, hold on a second. I thought I was the deliverer guy, you know. But then he goes into 40 years in the wilderness. And when God comes to him and says, hey, Moses, I want you to go back and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. He goes, no, I'm not your guy, God. I can't do that. I don't talk real well. I'm not very confident. I, I'm just, you know, I just don't know that I can do this. And, and, and what, what is Moses' response, or God's response to Moses? God's response to Moses in that text is not, oh no, Moses, you're a really good talker. You do a really good job, Moses. I mean, I've heard you. I heard you in your, your, your kindergarten play. You did good there. You can do this, Moses. Now, you just got to believe in yourself. Hold on. Try harder. He's like, Moses, you're missing the point. I'm not asking you if you're equipped. I called you to do it. And he takes the turtle and puts it on top of the fence post. Who made your tongue, Moses? Who formed your mouth? You see, the question is not, who are you, Moses? The question is, who is God? And when God places in a role in our life, it's not about who we are or how qualified we are, but who is the one that called us to do the work, and He's the one that sustains us through it. You see, God is not telling Mary or us how great we are, but He is weaving a tapestry of grace in the fabrics of our life so that when we stand and look at what God's doing, we can say with Mary, my soul magnifies the Lord. And we lift Him up. See, Mary is showing us how to, it's not showing us how to do what needs to be done, but how to respond to what he has done. She is tracing the hand of God through the ages to the very moment that she stands in, and she is declaring that the God has made her a part of that story. He has made her a part of his story. And here's the thing. You and I are a part of his story. He's not a part of of ours. And when we get that straight, we begin to understand the gospel. You see, because the Christian faith is not about negotiating with God. It's about surrender. Unless we lay down our lives, we cannot be his disciples. Now, these are the words of Jesus. So this morning, if I could just put it this way, are you a frog or a turtle? Are you the frog that's trying to make it happen? Are you the turtle that surrenders and says, look, I can't do it on my own anyway. I need God to do this for me. And when we humble ourselves and acknowledge that we can't, then God does. But God has always and consistently shown mercy to those who fear him 
And he's shown rejection to those who are proud, and he's lifted up the humble. And he will continue to do that. So this morning, as we examine our hearts, are we humble before God, saying, God, I want to be a part of your story? Isn't history his story anyway? It's the story he's telling. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its sufficiency. Father, as we conclude this service today, that, Father, you would be honored and glorified in what's said. And Father, I pray that you would give us a mind and a heart to receive it. We thank you for the faith of Mary. We thank you for the humility of this young lady who received the word of God, confirmed the word of God, and then magnified the name of God. And Father, we lift you up this morning for the great things you have done and the great things that you are doing and the great things that you will do. It's in the precious name of Jesus we ask these things.